Los Angeles has kind of always been this town of Wild West kind of desperado folks who wanted to change who they were. You thought you could become anything if you moved to LA. And that makes for a lot of spooky stories and spooky places because some people make it, but most people don't. Between the present and the past, memories held in the walls and earth, energies and entities that cross the barrier into our dreams and our consciousness. That which has been left behind between the living and the dead. I'm Emily. And I'm Joy. And this is Is The the Residuals. Residuals. I'm so excited to chat with you. This is really, you have no idea how excited we are. We (laughs) so stoked. We have a really unhealthy look. Listen, I okay. Please don't be weirded out by us. Please don't suddenly have technical internet connection difficulties and have to go. I got a text message from Joy like an hour ago. I am so excited about it. Like all cap. Totally. So we have talked in in a past episode about, um, Joy, you talked about where you went to school. We did Linda Vista and we we touched on the Cecil in that episode. Um, We talked a little bit about um, the famous Elisa Lamb story. Um, You know, just, we were just touching on like weird things that have happened, but the Cecil just has so many things happening in one place like talk about residual hauntings talk about intellectual hauntings talk about interdimensional portals through an elevator game i mean there's so much sorry my cat is currently biting the crap out of me (gasps) oh my god that's okay I have a bitey cat. I understand. (laughs) It's a black and white cat, right? I was just going to say it looks like chicken. They're insane. Black and white cats are like that. Really? Every time I talk to someone and we talk about, oh, my cat's nuts. They'll like ask me to pet them. And then I do. And then they turn around and like try to kill me and then want me to keep petting them. Every time it's a black and white cat that is like, love me, love me. Yeah, he's like, oh love me, God. love me, let me destroy you. It's like, very, yes, it's very quick to change. It's yeah, like I love nibbles. They yeah. come home, they never give you a safe word. It's always <laughs> just terror. It's <laughs> so, yeah. um, I guess we should probably start the podcast. Okay. Sure, sure. That awesome. Official intro and shit. All right. I'm Emily. I'm Joy. This is the. Residuals. Residuals. And That's today right. We have a yeah. We got a special guest. Yes, Hadley is um, here <laughs> to tell Hadley, us. Hadley, tell us about your background and with the Cecil, and then let's fucking get into it because <laughs> I've got my cup of tea and my biscuits and I'm ready to go. And my heat pad. Let's do this. Tell us about your background. So my name is Hadley Mears. I'm a historical journalist. I, I do a lot of work on Los Angeles history. I really love legends and lore and folklore. I have no, I've never personally seen a ghost. I've felt lots of things, but I love ghost stories and I love the stories behind 
why a legend or a ghostly idea came into being, right? Because it yeah. can really tell you so much about the past. I also do a lot of work on communities that haven't gotten their voices heard in terms of history yet, particularly women. And uh, I do a lot of work on um, African-American histories in Los Angeles because both of those areas have, they're fascinating and so cool and they've really, really not gotten their due. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've done a lot of, lot of stories, a lot of research on different buildings in Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. I also am really obsessed with what a building can tell us about the people who lived inside it. Like, I'm not particularly one of those folks who is like, save everything. Like, that's not my gig. <laughs> like, to me, history is humanity. And so when you find the stories of the people who lived in said building, like the Cecil, or the legends that sprung up about, say, uh, the, the alleged Nazi ranch in the Santa Monica Canyon. Come it's in. a fascinating place. I've written about it a lot, and I and the before times led tours there a lot. And, you know, it's again, it's a place Hadley, that's built up listen, on legends. Yes. I'm going to, I just need to tell you right now. I, I need you to be comfortable and accepting of the fact that this will not be your first time talking with us on this show. We will need you to come back because we need to hear all of these things. How would you feel about moving in with Emily? <laughs> do you have, have a crazy it? cat like me? If you don't, I'll come I right do. Back. We don't really have that much space, but we do have a playhouse that my child doesn't play with in the back garden. I would love to live in a playhouse. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so great. Uh, yeah, and so I've, I've gotten really fascinated with the kind of legends of lore of uh, Southern California because Southern California, right, when you think about it, everybody thinks of Hollywood and Hollywood history. And I love Hollywood history. I read a lot about it for Vanity Fair. I love it, I love it, I love it. And that's what initially got me fascinated with L.A. and moved to L.A. because my mother is a huge Hollywood history person. But when I got here, I realized, oh, my God, there's so much other history in L.A., that has nothing to do with Hollywood and the entertainment industry. And to me, Los Angeles has kind of always been this town of Wild West kind of desperado folks who wanted to change who they were. You thought you could become anything if you moved to LA. And that makes for a lot of spooky stories and spooky places because some people make it, but most people don't. Most people don't yeah. become what they wanted to become when they moved out here. And places like the Cecil or the Hotel Barclay downtown, they're kind of perfect examples of where a lot of folks who just, you know, fate wasn't on their side ended up. And I think that is where you get so many of the best kind of ghost stories and legends and terror and horror in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned about um, Elizabeth Short. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the Black Dahlia. Yeah, she's fascinating because she's been very misunderstood, but she is the prototype of one of those Wild West desperados. Right. Who moved out. Yeah, to totally. It's kind of, I think, probably maybe had some mental struggles, didn't know what she wanted, but knew she wanted to be someone and would haunt nightclubs and and would haunt hotels. The last place she was supposedly seen alive is the Biltmore Hotel downtown. And now it's mm -hmm. said that she haunts the Biltmore Hotel. Really? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. That. And uh, I actually did a fun ghost hunt thing with Bridget from The Girls Next Door. Remember yes! 
She has I a great to, podcast. I used to love that show. Yeah, well, she has a great ghost podcast called uh, Ghost Magnet. What? And oh, we awesome! In a room in the Biltmore Hotel and told all the ghost stories there. So Elizabeth Short supposedly, you can see her a lot in the elevator. That wow. and she'll take the elevator up to a certain floor, and she's dressed, you know, in her signature. She always wore a lot of black, so she's always in black. She has that kind of signature hairdo. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stories. I think a lot of ghost stories in LA are also about when celebrities or infamous folks die a tragic death and you don't want to let go of that person. You know, that's why Marilyn Monroe haunts every freaking place in town. Right. Like, right. Her and Rudolph <laughs> Sass, because they both die these really tragic deaths and they're, you don't want them to have died that way and be gone. So fans kind of make up these legends that they're still everywhere they once maybe were and a lot of places they weren't. Peg Entwistle, there's the story about her too, having not gotten the role that she was waiting for and threw herself off of the Hollywood sign. Yes. And, and it said that you know, they still say she can, yeah, that she'll be up there, up on the road, on the way up, people will pass some wanted period clothing. And, and yeah, there's a lot of gardenia. Hmm. <gasps> Her person right. of gardenia, which is so cool. Yep. Right. But yeah, Peg Edwards was a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking up Cecil stuff, I saw that Elizabeth Short was also, she was at one time a tenant of I, I don't think that's true. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't believe okay. that's true. I think that's one of those cases of like, well, she must've been there too. Cause it's terrifying. Right. So what, um, tell us about your, your, what you've found over the years about the Cecil. Cecil is by far, I mean, I've researched lots and lots of places in LA. It is by far the place I've found the most documentation, actual documents of terrible things happening than anywhere in Los Angeles, bar none. Uh, when I was writing an article I wrote years ago for KCT that got me into the, into the Cecil, whatever that means, I was shocked, like when I was going through the LA Times archives, how many suicides, how many shady folks lived there, how many killers or serial killers were associated yeah. with the place. And it's just kind of continues to evolve, right? And of course, Elisa Lamb has kicked the whole history and whole mythos, right, of the Cecil up to this totally different level. The Cecil is really fascinating because it was built in the 1920s. And when it was being constructed, downtown was in its prime. Downtown was the place. It was where all of the celebrities partied. It was where all of the fancy stores were, the department stores like hamburgers. It was where all of the fancy hotels were, like the Alexandria and the Biltmore. And it was on the up and up and up and up and up, right? It's the kind of common 1920s story. Like, it's never going to go down. Like, we're shiny and new and American and all this jazz. Mm-hmm. And so the Cecil's built in the 20s to be like a very solidly middle-class hotel. It wasn't supposed to be the finest hotel by a long shot. There were a lot of other much fancier hotels in L.A., that it was like a very good hotel. And you see that in the early days. And, you know, they had a nightclub, they had singers there. It was a nice place for folks to stay. 
But then what happens, of course, is the stock market crash in 1929. The depression <sighs> hits. I know that pesky, that pesky crash. Uh-huh. It really kind of alters particularly the area of downtown that the Cecil was in for some reason. And by the 1930s, you really start seeing folks dying by suicide there and it becoming Mm -hmm. slowly a place, not where you would stay overnight because you're on vacation on your business trip, but a place that you live long-term for, you know, very little money. But what, what folks back in less generous days would call like, a flop house, you know, it was, it was like a boarding house Mm -hmm. and the way people mostly died by suicide, especially through like the thirties through the sixties was jumping out the windows. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and I wrote this article once for LA magazine about um, how many people in LA jumped out windows in various places. Of course, the most famous is, is the Pasadena bridge. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sadly, but the Cecil is really one of the top. And there's all these horrible stories of like a woman falling onto the marquee and they're having to take her off with hooks. Um, A person falling into the... Oh, God. I know, of the building (sighs) next door. And probably the most famous case is this woman in the 60s named Pauline Otten, who supposedly was fighting with her husband who was named Dewey, which I love. And he claimed that he like went to dinner or something. And then she either jumped or was pushed. I don't know, or a spirit got her, who knows. And she jumped out the window and she landed on an old man who was just minding his business, walking on the street below. And at oh, first, George oh Biani, and he was just a lot of elderly people ended up living in downtown in the 50s and 60s because it was cheap and, and, sure. and right. you know, they didn't have much money. And uh, when they first discovered both the bodies, they initially thought like, oh, maybe they jumped together. Maybe it was a murder suicide. Maybe he pushed her. But they were able to figure out that she had fallen on him because his hands were in his pocket and his shoes were still on his feet. And oh, if he God. had with her, his hands would have flown up and his shoes would have flown off. Mm-hmm. So there's just wow. countless stories like that that Amazing. seem almost unbelievable. Yeah. And then in the 1960s, there was also this really tragic unsolved murder of this woman named Goldie Osgood, who was one of these elderly people who ended up at the Cecil. And she was beloved in... Uh, downtown LA because she would feed the pigeons every day and Pershing Square. And she loved the Dodgers. She always had a Dodgers hat on. And she was found murdered in her room at the Cecil. And like oh. next to her was like a bag of bird feed and her Dodgers hat. It was so sad. Oh, that God. was never solved. So it really, even before it becomes like the 70s and 80s and you know, it's hardcore turned into Skid Row. The Cecil already had a lot of dark forces and really gnarly stuff going on. I have a question because yeah. I am not very familiar with LA. Um, we've been living here for like three years. We moved mm-hmm. from New York, but I don't get out much and okay. definitely haven't this last year. Um, but I have tattooed, I, I'm a tattoo artist in case you didn't know that, oh, but cool. um I 
occasionally tattoo downtown um, at Little Annie Motel, and she has her studio on South Hill Street. Mm -hmm. So I have gone home down Main and taken that whole way home. And I always am just like, God, this architecture is so beautiful. And I'm also overwhelmed with this sadness Mm -hmm. because it's just not what it should be. Like I have that like old like time travel lens when I look down the street and I'm like that shouldn't be like an urban outfitters like that should be <laughs> yes. like some amazing theater you know and I'm always like oh god it's so beautiful but it's so sad you're absolutely right that's like dead on downtown is like a place of failed promise so they poured all of this money into downtown in the teens and 20s you just read about like thousands and thousands which of course today would be millions and millions of dollars built on all these grand buildings because la's obsession was we're going to be equal to new york or san francisco or chicago right they were obsessed with that because they thought that all these big established metropolises looked down on los angeles And so they built this beautiful downtown in the vein of what they thought a grand city's downtown should look like. Mm -hmm. And then the stock market crash messes everything up, but downtown really goes downhill actually after World War II. And that's a lot of reasons. Um, A lot of people blame it on the trolley system collapsing Oh, wow. Due to maybe nefarious reasons. A lot of people blame it weirdly on the GI Bill because it gave money to buy little homes, but you were, so they were buying stuff in the West side or the East side or by San San Fernando Valley. Nobody was investing in downtown. And so it it really collapsed on itself. So yeah, your, your feeling about that is, is dead on, that it was kind of a failed promise of the city of Los Angeles. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of re refinding itself and it's become a pretty awesome place, but COVID's really put a kibosh on that a little bit, yeah. which, is, which is a bummer. Oh yeah. I haven't been down there since, I don't know, probably April of last year because going downtown to tattoo is just like, oh. I can't do this right now. <laughs> I have a four-year-old at home. Like I can't do this right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I miss going down just the drive down, like looking at stuff. It's very pretty. The architecture is amazing. And like, because I lived in New York, a lot of the style is the same, but it just held up so much better here because of the weather mm-hmm. that it's like, almost being transported to a different time, just driving down the street because the buildings look so new. <laughs> they do. You're so right. You're so right about that. And if you go on Broadway a lot, which is also haunted um, in downtown LA, you know, they wanted that to be the Broadway, like Broadway in New York. Yeah. And if you go to like the, uh, I think it's, is it the LA theater, the Los Angeles theater inside there is a pristine amazing theater. Like, I don't even know how the words to describe how beautiful is it, it is inside. And it hasn't been used as anything in years. It's just used for filming, but you know, you still go into the beautiful ladies room and, and there's a, uh, there's a nursery for the children. So you didn't have to deal with them. Oh that has goodness. this really creepy circus mural going all the way around. Oh my that God. Uh, I don't know how that's going to be haunted. I was just going to say, what is this? How is an entire street haunted? 
there's just a lot. Well, first of all, theaters are always haunted, right? And and yes. I yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> and from a skeptic's point of view, I don't know if that's, you know, because theater folk are dramatic or because yes, we are. I can. Yes. As it's a theater major. It's, it's that. It's all the energy. It's all the tragedy and the emotion around it. I mean, yes. we were just talking about yeah. how everybody came and tried to like sow their fortune of being a star. Right. And all of those emotions are just stuck in all of that wood and the walls and everybody and was feeling the same thing. It's interesting because Hadley at the beginning you were talking about, you know, LA isn't this big shiny glam place. It's where people come. It is like the Wild West. People come out here with the dream and trying to make it happen. And, you know, 90% of the time it doesn't. And it, that sounds almost exactly how you describe downtown. They built it with this yeah. dream of making it this big thing and it was going to be happening and great. And what it turned into is the people that came out here to make it big and it didn't happen for them. It's like the downtown LA is its own Hollywood tragedy. I mean, if there isn't a correlation between that idea of emotions becoming their own negative entity that lives on and manifests without a single person to drive it, but it being from all of these people, it's like downtown just emulating all of those people. It's like that's a, crazy. But I the Cecil's right down there, right? Like right. the Cecil is very near like all of that area. It's on Maine, but it's also near all of those theaters. And like Broadway, is that all the well, same? And that's one of the things they've tried to rebrand it as is called on Maine. That rebrand. You're just shaking oh. your head now. <laughs> They yeah. have the hand seats. What are the hand seats and the bunk beds? No. Yeah, trying to make it like a cool hostel where the kids want to come. And um, one of the things I I was messaging with Hadley before this, and um, how dare you? We heard. Sorry, out of that one, Joy, but Hadley and I are friends, and we've got to decide if we want to let you in our club. Um, Fine, whatever. We that that's someone like in our in our friend circle she is good friends with somebody who works with the company who is currently in the process of doing yet another rehab mm -hmm. on the Cecil Hotel and he was telling her that these seasoned crew guys like that are in there working on the building are having really sometimes disturbing experiences there mm. that that cannot be explained and so all of these tragic people who have lived there there's only so many of them that can be there before it just starts seeping into the foundation of the building mm. and it manifests itself in this horrific reputation and almost a destiny of you go there and this is probably what's going to befall you. Yeah. I, it's, it's pretty fascinating. And, you know, I went to the hotel. Well, first of all, I've led back in the before times I was leading tours where we went and talked about the Cecil every Saturday. So I've, wow. I've been in front of there countless times. And what's so fascinating is that the folks who live on Skid Row a lot of times will yell at us, like, get away from there, it's haunted, 
or come up to us and start telling us, oh my God, I've been in there. It's so scary. Like you need to get away from there. Like, why are you even near here? So like oh even God. among folks who like have a, have a pretty rough life, they even know that is, you don't go in the Cecil. You don't wow. want to go there. And I went to the Cecil years ago when it was still open as the stay on Maine. And it was the darkest, most depressing energy inside. Because like you said, Emily, they were, they were trying to make it like it was this cool youth hostel that didn't cost much. And you're in the heart of Los Angeles. And instead, so you got a bunch of kids who were like backpacking from Europe or Asia. And then they find themselves staying in this like death sadness trap. (laughs) When I went in, the lobby was just dark and like half of the signs weren't working. And it was just a bunch of like European kids with their rolly bags, like sitting dejectedly on the computer. Oh and my like, God. Like, dim light. It was so creepy in there. It was crazy. There's a lot of shady stuff going on with whatever they're doing with the new Cecil now. Oh, really? Yes. It's, it's been very mysterious. They keep pushing when it's going to open. They keep pushing what it's going to be. And I've had some run-ins with them because they didn't like, I guess, that I was coming to talk in front of the Cecil every Saturday about all the gnarly stuff. So they started posting like a security guard out by Did the they, door. What the fuck? Do they think that they can like go on Google and just erase the history? You can't scrub the Cecil. No. Mm-hmm. And you should erase it. Like so many people would stay there to try and right. I don't want to experience a portal to hell, but like a lot of people <laughs> would love to experience that portal to hell in the elevator. The Queen Mary, they do ghost tours and then they're like, hey, you want to stay in our haunted room? Go for it. It's this one. And Emily and I are like, yes, right now. Can we please wear our masks for a while so we can go sleep on a haunted boat for once? Jesus. Listen, we need (laughs) COVID to be gone. Oh, my gosh. Because we want everyone to be safe and healthy. We'd also like to go and stay in some haunted locations. We want to go for Mother's Day. Day. (laughs) Yes, that's what we want to do. Someday, don't say never. (laughs) Listen, apparently, apparently the city doesn't need any more negative energy, madam. So bring it in. It's going to happen. The the Mary's really interesting. I did like a little ghost show there once. And so we Mm. walked around and it definitely, those hallways are endless. Like it definitely feels spooky. But I don't know who's worked on this, but I know a historian has worked on documenting that all of those ghost stories basically go directly back to when like a branding person decided (laughs) that was a way to brand it when it was at the port. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I felt super creeped out there and felt like I heard stuff. So I guess both things can be true, right? Maybe they're just not talking about the right kinds of spirits or ghosts. Yeah. I we have a, um, I did a we, tour there, a ghost tour for my birthday. Oh, did you? And it was, well, first of all, unfortunately, the tour guide we had wasn't very good. And at some point they were like, yeah, I was in the ticket office until like last week. And then someone like they needed <laughs> oh, God, to, awesome. someone to fill it. So it's me. Awesome. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Let's do this. But Ruined. they have that where the swimming pool mm-hmm. was. That was really unnerving down there. It was very unnerving. Joy, it's like a swimming pool in the middle of like down by the hull 
with like no windows. Sounds great. It so is creepy. Sounds amazing. great. <laughs> so, so oh, creepy. Yeah. Old pools are just like inherently creepy too. Old yeah. indoor pools. There, like there's one at the Biltmore uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. That's so creepy. Like there's just something about it. Probably because they're like these empty cavernous space. I mean, hell, that's a pretty good thing to trap a spirit too. Like right. yeah. when you think about it architecturally. Sure. Also, whenever this is all over and you find yourself in the Asheville region, go to the Biltmore at Christmas because it's it's delightful. It's beautiful. The Biltmore is awesome. I moved from the UK to North Carolina. I'm from Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Shut the oh, fuck up. Yeah, I went okay. to East Carolina University. You went to ECU? I graduated <laughs> too. It's, that's I know. School. Yeah, that's where I had a fuck ton of stuff happened in college. And I can't help but think it's because we were so close to Saltwater, which is like a conductor oh, yeah. of stuff. Um, we had the floods all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like when mm-hmm. Floyd came through, it decimated everything. We had people die. Um, and it also unearthed a bunch of graves. And the contents of the graves came down the Tar River. Right. I mean, and nowhere is more haunted than like the Outer Banks and the coast of North Carolina. I mean, mm-hmm. that is where I totally turn non skeptic. Like when I'm on the Outer Banks, you can just like, feel all of those like ships in the ocean and all the bodies still in the ocean and the and the kind of residual like excitement and fear and sadness and tragedy of the south and i just yes ecu man my mom's from up in eastern north carolina in a little tiny town called rich square so i spent a lot of time okay many a time that's so cool green vegas green (laughs) Green Vegas. vegas Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Listen, Hadley, I don't know about you, but I need a Bojangles to open here. I love Bojangles so much. I miss it so much. Hadley, those season flies are like my favorite thing in the world. Yes. (laughs) And their sweet tea. Yeah. And their Bowberry biscuits. Oh, Bowberry biscuits. Yeah. Jesus. You're my big sorry, No, it's okay. I can appreciate this. I mean, I did not go to school down there, but I lived in Rhode Island for a long time in Newport on the water. And it is a very similar thing. And it's like when I get together with people who have been in Rhode Island and we're like, oh my God, and Dell's lemonade. Oh my God, and Newport creamery. So yes, I am enjoying hearing this (laughs) very much. Well, and it's really interesting because like in terms of how I view like ghost stories and why I love them so much, like there's a really big legend of this gray man on the Carolina coast that warns people of a hurricane. And like, what does that tell you there? Like the biggest thing everyone was terrified of was a hurricane. Right. People's houses were destroyed. Some people's weren't. It became said that, well, the people's houses weren't destroyed. That's because the gray man visited them on the beach when they Mm -hmm. were walking on the beach and warned them that the hurricane was coming. So it's like Mm -hmm. every ghost story tells you so much about whatever hyper local place you are. Yeah. I love hearing this because of my background in anthropology. Like this is like ticking all of the boxes with me. (laughs) Yeah. It's an explanation for like something you can't explain or don't want to believe happened the way it happened. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the other things with the South, especially, there's folklore. And so then how much of it happened and how much of it has been spoken into existence? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that now it is a thing. Um, like I remember we had near our school, there was a light, there was a certain stretch of lights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never went because I was afraid. But like <laughs> you went and then you flashed your lights a certain amount of time and then... Joe Baldwin comes up, the guy yeah. who got his head cut off and the railroad tracks. Yeah. But those lights are really just like swamp gas. <laughs> so again, it's it's explained. Thank you for ruining it for me. Please continue to ruin it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's explaining a tragedy in like a way that makes it really fun. And the South is really good at doing that because mm-hmm. we have such a dark, murky past. We're really expert at at making uh, making chaos and and horror palatable to people, stuff like what we talk about on our show is actually it, it's accepted down there to talk yes. about because it is a part of the history there. Whereas I feel like the further west you move, that's where there's more skepticism and more. That's that's just you're nuts. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> Whereas in the south it's like well no it's like a part of it's just a part of life it, it it is a part of life there and also the south has that great like the faulkner quote like the 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 past is never past it's not even past i don't know but it's something about how the past like lives side by side with you in certain parts of the country yeah and i i find that a lot of course in the south and also in um, perhaps not cities in the West, but if you go out to smaller towns, like kind of wild West, old desert outpost, they're also very comfortable with kind of the past and present uh, coinciding together in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. So going back to the sea salt, what, yes. what kind of stuff happened there? Um, I know that there have been people who have stayed there who were not the best people. Um mm-hmm. You know, what's some of the history with that? Well, that's really, you know, kind of, I think where the legend of it being demonic comes from, it's not necessarily the folks, the tragic folks who died by suicide or murdered, it's the serial killers. And of course, the most famous one is Richard Ramirez. Right. Who lived there, the Night Stalker, who lived there while he was actively killing folks for at least two stretches in the 80s and mm-hmm. there's really terrifying stories of him bringing eyeballs of a victim back into the cecil and all this really messed up stuff <laughs> and people <laughs> saw this yeah well exactly who knows but it's pretty terrifying because like one of the things i couldn't stop thinking about when i when i realized how long he lived there while mm-hmm. he was doing this he would be covered in blood I'm pretty sure. He also smelled horrific. And so did people not like put two and two together no. or were they just like, oh, that's that's Richard? Not like, oh, he's covered in blood that is doesn't appear to be his. I I, I think that what was going on at the Cecil and why it became such a good hideout for uh, folks like Ramirez is because everyone staying at the Cecil was just trying to survive. So you could really do your own thing there. Nobody was going to bother you. Everybody was in the struggle for survival. Right. And 
after Ramirez was arrested, they spoke to one of the guys who worked at the Cecil and they said, you know, what did you know about Ramirez? And they said, well, all I know is he smoked a lot of weed and he liked to listen to like heavy metal music really loud. Otherwise he just seemed like another one of the losers. So I think oh. that is like so indicative of, you know, how most of those folks who were good folks were treated by society, even by the people who worked at the place they lived. And so a bad egg, a, a monster like Ramirez could kind of just skate on through yeah. and nobody was going to really care either way. I mean, look at how humans generally in polite society ignore people on the fringe of society anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't even been covered in blood sometimes walking down the street and I've had people walk away from me because of the way that I look right. like you yeah. avoid people that look like they might bother you. That might be scary. That might have a mental illness. I mean, that's just what we do. So even if he did walk in covered in blood and stinking and sounding like a lunatic, who's going to say something you just want to be like, let him do his thing and go up to his room and leave us alone so he doesn't pay attention to where we live in this building. Right. The, I've, I've spent a lot of time on, on Skid Row in the Skid Row neighborhood leading tours and doing some volunteer stuff. And it's not that uncommon to see people who have blood on them. Yeah. You know, and it's mostly medical things mm -hmm. and, and horrible right. stuff. But so if somebody had blood on them for a, you know, bad reason... Yeah, I mean, living in New York, I've seen countless people covered in blood and what other other bodily fluids they might be covered in, sleeping on the subway, walking through the subway, I mean, just walking outside of where I lived. It's not, you're right, it's, it's very common to see that. Mm -hmm. See, this and is what I get for growing up in a tiny village. In the middle <laughs> but of I think, I the think that's important, though. Covered in blood is because they helped birth a bunch of cows and some sheep or something. <laughs> <laughs> but right if i mean if the newspapers are gonna run with something and they're gonna say oh he was covered in blood and he stunk and he listened to heavy metal music most of middle class america is going to be horrified because we never see anything like that out here and the rest of the people in the cities are like what are you talking about we see that all the time it's not a big deal like it's pretty normal <laughs> you said that there were other killers? Yes, 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 yes. Actually, I find uh, the other main serial killer who lived there even more fascinating than Ramirez, just because I find Ramirez like so disgusting. Yeah. Uh, this guy is more like suave. <laughs> he's just as terrible. But he's a guy named uh, Jack Unterwinger. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I've heard it pronounced different. I'm terrible with pronunciation. So excuse me if it's wrong. Same thing. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> Uh, but Jack Underwinger was this really fascinating kind of case study of something. He was from Austria and he had strangled a woman with her bra when he was still like a teenager. And he was sent to jail when he was still a teenager, but mm -hmm. he was very charming and he was really very good looking, very well read. And of course he was white, which I'm sure it's all about, you know, white privilege yeah. coming into this. Mm -hmm. and he became kind of a cause celeb in prison and wrote a book, you know, and, and became kind of like this model reformed guy. And he got out of jail in Europe and became a journalist covering crime Jesus. for various magazines. 
So wow, what a cover! That's that's amazing, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he got a job to write about sex work on Skid Row for a magazine in LA. (gasps) Came out to LA, and this was in the early '90s. And he said, "I want to stay at the Cecil." And this yeah. is very strange. It's like nobody wanted to stay at the scene. So like, even if you were doing an article about Skid Row, you were not, just, it was not safe. I mean, in 1980s Skid Row is like really hardcore. Mm-hmm. And so he came to stay. He convinced the LAPD to let him do a ride along in the car. And then he wrote his article and left. And a cup, not even a couple, I think it was like a few months later, it was discovered in Europe that everywhere he had been going to write, he had been murdering women mm-hmm. and he murdered three women in LA again with his signature, like strangling folks with a bra while he was living at the Cecil. And Holy the shit. reason he wanted to stay at the Cecil was because Richard Ramirez was his hero. And he had heard the legend of Ramirez at the Cecil. So you want to talk about residual energy. Jesus. Believing somewhere could like imbue imbue you with something. Especially if you're asking for it. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Did he request his room for fuck's sake? Like my. (laughs) He might have, because I think there is supposedly a room Ramirez was in. So he might've known that, but yeah, he was asking for like the strength or whatever of the forces. Was he, um, were his victims sex workers or people on Skid Row? Because that would make sense then if he was doing the article, he could meet people, find targets, know where to find them. They'd already yeah, trust him and then just take them back. Yeah, they were sex workers. So yeah. it was mm-hmm. it was an easy thing to do. And he had been to all the hot spots with the LAPD when they right. gave the ride along. God. And he knew what they did. He knew what their response would be. He knew they didn't give a shit about sex workers. Right. Jesus. Yeah, that's Underwinger. He's he's quite a character. Mm. And I wish that was the only person who pulled that MO, but it's not. No, no. it's not. It's a but very it's common not. MO. <sighs> were there any others? There was a couple, there were a couple killers who like hid out in the Cecil, but they were just one-offs. They'd only murdered one person. <laughs> oh, they, they don't count. But they don't really, they don't really <laughs> count. And uh yeah, and then in the early 2000s, it turns into this phony stay on Maine, and that lures in Alyssa Lamb, who's, of course, kind of now the poster child for a, a mystery and wrapping up that mystery in, in some kind of in some kind of otherworldly uh, ghostly thing. I so mean, beyond about, ghostly, even yeah, like that just alternate dimension, like. Right. So can you There's tell so us much. about do- <laughs> Elisa Lamb and, and what you know about it? Yeah, Elisa Lamb is just so tragic to me because I feel, you know, she got hoodwinked. So she's from Canada. She is kind of taking time off college, trying to find herself. Um, I think she, you know, she had diagnosed bipolar disorder. So she may have been struggling with some mental health issues. So she booked the stay on Maine online. Sure, she thought she was staying in a nice, safe place. And she was going to just bum around California. I think she went to San Diego, then she came to LA, and then she was supposed to go up north. And she booked a hotel room at the Cecil. She arrived at the Cecil. 
she was acting very strangely at the Cecil. She was initially put in a hostel type room with several other young folks. And mm. she must have freaked them out because she was given a private room. I think folks complained about her. And so she went about her way, went downtown, went to the great last bookstore downtown, bought some books for her family and went back to the hotel and then she vanished. And uh, a couple weeks later, you know, she's a missing person. Her family's desperately worried. And there's of course a famous video that is released that everybody's seen of her in the elevator at the Cecil, mm -hmm. pushing a bunch of buttons uh, looking in and out of the elevator like she's scared, like she sees someone, but she's also kind of enticed by that person and uh, kind of looks like she doesn't quite know which way is up. And so that's the last documented sighting of her is this is this CTV footage. So a couple of weeks later, uh, people at the Cecil start to notice, oh, my water tastes funny. They said it had a weird metallic taste and that it had turned a kind of brown color. Mm -hmm. And so they send a worker up to the rooftop to investigate the four water towers up there. And in one of the water towers, they find her nude body floating in the water tower. And beside her in the water tank were her clothes uh, and her room key. However, her phone was not with her and her phone has never been found. Supposedly, uh -huh. the LAPD might have the phone and might not be releasing that info because they've been super kind of cagey about everything to do with this case. Right. Uh, so what happened to Alyssa? I, I don't know. I mean, I've heard a lot of different theories. I've heard that the LAPD knows what happened and covered it up. There's some <sighs> stories that like it was demonic possession or like the ghost of Ramirez or whatever. Some say that she went into the water tank herself, maybe during a mental health episode. However, she would have had to undo this giant latch on the top of the water tower. It was the tank had a really narrow opening. She would have had to like squeeze herself through the opening to get into the water. And it was also incredibly hard to get to the rooftop where these tanks were. Right. There were only two ways to get up there. And she wouldn't have known either one and she didn't have a key. So it's wow. all really confusing. I mean, my best get from best guess from, you know, a kind of realistic point of view is I think perhaps somebody at the hotel, because the stay at Maine was only half a hotel, half of it was still residential housing. So right. There were a lot of folks who had a lot of troubles living in that other half. And I wonder if somebody saw a person in mental distress and took advantage of them mm -hmm. and perhaps took the, took her to the roof and killed her. But I mean, we truly have no idea. I mean, and, and again, it's one of those great tragic mysteries that now has turned into this horrific legend of its own. I mean, really a legend, like really uh, so many things swirling around. Was she talking to someone we can't see? Was she talking to a spirit? Had she stopped her meds? Because I heard that she went off her medication while she had been here. So maybe she she thought she was seeing things and was talking to a hallucination. Um, so many things, but like the, the amount of strength and dexterity that it would have taken to get in there. I mean, even if you are having a hallucination, my God, it would be a miracle that you could do that alone. 
Not to mention, how the fuck did she climb up there? There was no way to climb up. Right. To the top. It's not. It's not like there's a ladder up to the rooftop swimming pool. Like it's not some open thing. You know, it's like a fucking water tower. Yeah. <sighs> oh my god. Um, and wasn't there something about because the people who lived there, because they were residents, um, the police couldn't search their homes they're like the units in the building yes I, I believe that's the case and they also did a, a pretty shoddy do- job of searching and i think that's because it took them so long to find her body they already knew she was a missing person they mm-hmm. knew the last place she had been was at the cecil they had seen the ctv footage already so i think that the lapd might have been really trying to kind of hush it up you know or just kind of cover their ass be, and, sure. and perhaps part of that was not really interviewing the residents or the other folks who had stayed there that's, that's insane unreal. i know it's really it's really tragic and but it really does go into that whole thing of you know la la is a rough place where you know la is not all the west side and like all of us uh all of us artsy folks in hancock right, park yeah. and, and echo park and los Feliz. i mean there's a lot of really hard stuff that goes on in la mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of people in la never see i think one of the things that i find that, that i find hard is that she her death is what her legacy is. Mm -hmm. And she was someone's child. Yes. And she has left a family behind and they get the last moments of their child is on YouTube played over and over Mm -hmm. and over again and has become a macabre sort of entertainment um, for people to speculate on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I don't want people to think that we're doing here on this show that we're trying to, you know, discuss and, and figure out if, you know, it was the ghost of Richard Ramirez that killed her. That's not it. It's this hotel is a building that has had so much fucking tragedy occur in it. And to have this cap it off is just my heart breaks for her family. My Mm -hmm. heart breaks for her family that they have to relive this and that it's how do you start healing? I mean, something like this humans, we like horrible things and we like looking at horrible things and we're just nosy. And and that's a lot of how most of us are myself included, because I, I love stories like this because of the mystery and, you know, it makes me think and it makes me theorize Um, and it is tragic and it's heartbreaking, but imagine what would have happened during the era of the black Dahlia and those pictures when they came out, imagine that being all, I mean, it's all over the internet now, but imagine the family then, I mean, the same thing, like there is just no, no privacy (laughs) in humanity sometimes. So oh, yeah. speaking of the Black Dahlia, you mentioned uh, the Broadway Hotel. Uh, the, the Biltmore Hotel. Sorry, the Biltmore, Biltmore. Hotel. So it, it it seems that 
you know, talking about these places and the the transient nature of the hotels, especially the the people that have been that have come and gone from LA and their purpose for being here over the years, that that would make it so that those buildings rather than residential ones would really be fucking haunted because of all of the shit that's come through it. Um, do you know, like, what is, with your research and everything you've done here in L.A., um, what, in your opinion, is, is, like, the most haunted hotel in Los Angeles? Well, I would say, for me, I would say truly haunted, like, not stories, like, honestly feels demonic and, like, is the Cecil. Really? But yeah. I would say that story-wise or legend-wise, the most haunted hotels, I mean, it's probably the Knickerbocker, just because mm-hmm. there's so many stories of the Knickerbocker in Hollywood of Marilyn Monroe being there in the mirror and Montgomery Clift. And so there's a lot of kind of popular, famous people legends at the Knickerbocker. But I would say, bar none, the Cecil. And I'd also say though the Biltmore. The Biltmore has a lot of different ghosts, allegedly. <laughs> the Biltmore yeah. but the Biltmore has a much happier feeling to me. And and I guess that's also because it's still a working hotel and it's it's still quite beautiful. And so there's a much more kind of integrated feeling with like, yes, there might be ghosts there. Yes, they there might be spirits, but like maybe you can coincide with them more. Yeah. Whereas places like the Cecil, I mean, I feel like the Cecil should just be burned to the ground. Like, I don't know why they keep trying to to revamp it. To me, it's like evil. I don't, I don't, I, I don't want it. What was, I mean, we talk about, is it the building? Is it things that happened in the building? Is it further than that? Is it the land? Is it something connected to the specific geographical place? Um, do you know what was there prior to the Cecil? And two-parter, we have heard about uh, Los Feliz sort of having that like vortexy line of bad shit going through it. Um, so, what say you about? Well, <laughs> those oh, kinds I, have of a, I have a lot about Los Feliz. I've read a lot okay. about the stories of Los Feliz. So, I would say the Ooh, Cecil. I, <laughs> I would say the Cecil. I do not know what was there before. That area of where the Cecil is was ranch land until not that long before the 20s. So I don't know what was there. Uh, Los Feliz, absolutely. I feel like I live in Los Feliz and I love that. I think Los Feliz is cursed and haunted. (laughs) I think it's really fun. I mean, it's tragic, but it's also really fun. And I wrote this whole article for Curbs about the legends of Los Feliz. And the reason Los Feliz and Griffith Park are supposedly cursed is because in the 1800s, this was all an area known as Rancho Los Feliz. And it was owned by the Feliz family. And legend has it that in the 1860s, during the smallpox epidemic of 1863, the current owner of the rancho, who was a Felice, was dying of smallpox. And his niece, Petronella, who was heir to uh, the land, was sent off to Los Angeles proper so she wouldn't get smallpox. 
And supposedly this wily lawyer named Don Cornell or something uh, convinced the Felice guy to write over all of his land to him. Oh, shit. And then passed away. And then Petronilla came back and found out that her entire land had been stolen. And she Mm -hmm. flipped out, of course, as she should have. And she cursed the land. And there's this whole great curse you can read where she's like, you know, there'll be floods and nobody will be able to grow anything and blah, 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 blah. And so Petronilla is said to not only curse the entire area around Los Feliz, but also to haunt an old adobe that still is on the property of the park, which is now a ranger station. And it said you mm-hmm. can see her in the window at night. And no it's also shit. said that you can see Petronilla's face on this rock called B Rock which kind of overlooks the old zoo where I lead tours in, in Griffith Park. Speaking of haunted, that zoo is so haunted. And Ooh. what do you mean? What do you mean? The old one? What is it yeah. haunted by? Is it haunted by the animals? Or? It's haunted by the animals who are like horribly abused. That oh, zoo, the original old zoo in Griffith Park had a horrific uh, history of animal abuse and it, it looks like it did them. though yeah yes it i does. mean it you i've been there once or twice and it's just like oh it feels horrible it does and i mean aside from the graffiti and like whatever i mean it's just the look of the cages it feels so sad and depressing it was really sad and depressing and most most of its history it was just those horrible kind of stockade cages Mm -hmm. And it said you can hear the animals at night still kind of falling out. So, yeah, Los Feliz definitely seems to have some sort of vortex. I choose to believe it's Petronilla created it, even though that story's not true. (laughs) But I... (laughs) Oh, yeah. for fuck's sake. Damn Sorry. it, Emily. But if I you got really, I was on, really into no. it. That's fine. <laughs> okay, I, I, have, I had heard that before, though, about yeah. her cursing everything. So There is a, a fault, a fault line that goes through Los Feliz. So m- my question is, could that be connected to any of this? Even, you know, if it's not her, could it be that? Because that, that, shit is constantly moving and so that's a creating some kind of an you know that creates kinetic energy i learned that i learned that in school for my gcse's (laughs) kinetic when it's moving it's kinetic energy but you know there's like i remember i used to live in los feliz i'm i and i pronounce it wrong los feliz um no, I mean, no, no. So can I say something really quickly? What? It's Los Feliz to people who live here because I yeah. spent the whole first year saying Los Feliz because I'm from fucking New York and I was like, this is how I was taught Spanish. Yeah. Um, everything here is wrong. Pasadena? Get the fuck out of town. This shit is Pasadena. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> I don't understand. So right. I always feel like I'm mispronouncing things. Okay. Los Feliz is how everybody I've heard that lives here says it. Well, I lived there for my first seven years living in LA and I fucking loved it. Um, but the earthquakes there, like you felt the shit out of it. Yes. Like my first apartment in Los Feliz, uh, we were on the third floor of a building um, off of Finlay, right across from the temple and uh, our hot water boiler exploded. <gasps> all over the patio because it was luckily it was outside but and our bookcase toppled over because 
my girlfriend and I who lived there, we'd moved here from Nashville together. We hadn't, no, we didn't know you're Jesus. supposed to attach shit to the walls, <laughs> you know? And then I moved to a tiny studio that was like a, it was a pre-war studio that still had the little milk doors in it, which fuck knows what happened in that building. I'm lucky. I didn't really feel anything in my studio, but I'm sure someone, some other people felt some shit. Um, other than our elderly neighbor who we kept catching in the laundry room and his underwear because he was washing his pants oh and he didn't goodness. have any other pants. Um, but those earthquakes there, like it was, you're on an ocean. So I can't help but wonder going to the, the, the geological part of things mm-hmm. that I know joy is really interested in. Well, also like ley lines, like like that that kind of thing too. Yeah. Like where just natural magnetic or natural like energetic areas are that are scientifically places. It's not like you're just making it up. You're like, well, I have my dowsing rod and they crossed here. So there must be something. It's like, no, these are things that science has proven. (laughs) um, What, what are the houses there? I mean, I know the LaBianca house is there. There's the Tate LaBianca house. Mm-hmm. There's the murder house, the house where there was the murder was supposedly a massacre of a family, but it wasn't really the whole family. Uh, a dad went nuts and murdered someone. And it's been empty for decades and right. the tree was up and all of that. And then there's the Soden house, which is basically directly on that fault line mm-hmm. on Franklin. And uh, that house has crazy evil energy. I could totally Ooh, believe it. the fault. Tell us about it. it. Well, and that's really- the one that had the podcast about from the 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 granddaughter of the surgeon who lived there mm-hmm. that was allegedly the the murderer of the Black Dahlia and his yeah. um his son went on to be in the LAPD and he set out to prove his innocence and then he was like, Wait, nope, maybe I'm wrong. I know that you're not like a super fan of ghost adventures, but Zach and the boys did do an entire episode on that. They went there and they investigated that with the family. So it wasn't just something that they like, don't keep making that face over. I see you. (laughs) But it's the same thing that you're talking about. Like the, the relatives, the granddaughter, like everybody was talking about how they thought their father, grandfather committed the murder. Yes, and and Soden House is is super fascinating for lots of reasons. I mean, it's designed like it was designed by Lloyd Wright, who's Frank Lloyd Wright's son, and it it looks like this kind of Mayan temple. Yeah, and uh, yeah, George Hodel, Doctor George Hodel, lived there, and a lot of people think he not only killed Elizabeth Short, but that he actually killed a series of women in the 1940s. There were a lot yeah. of unsolved cases of murdered women in 1947. There's a really famous case called the Lipstick Murders, and they were all done in this kind of avant-garde way. And, and Dr. Hodel was really good friends with Man Ray. I was going to say, yes, one of the things about how Elizabeth Short was posed was mm-hmm. very similar to a Man Ray piece. Like and- what a um, bananas connection. Like, oh, my God. It's so, so crazy. What, what kind of stuff, ha- like how... I don't know how to articulate right now because I'm just, it's a lot. Um, It's a lot. I'm sorry. My, my, my hamster wheels are just going very fast right now. What, um, what kind of stuff have you found out about the Soden house that like things happening there and, and shit like that? 
Well, a lot of, uh, first of all, the Soden house was where he sexually abused and raped his daughter Tamar a lot. Yeah. So we know that mm -hmm. there were a lot of freaky orgies that were, you know, not consensual, not fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think actually that Elizabeth Short may have been murdered there. And mm -hmm. I believe Steve Hodel has even had like this ground tested in the basement and says there's signs of human remains. But the creepiest thing I found out when I was doing more of an architectural history of the Soden House for Curbed is that there's this terrifying story that Steve Hodel says. I've interviewed him. He's a, he's a really cool, interesting dude. And he's the one who thinks his father did it. And he yeah. said that I guess the folks who owned the Soden House forever until recently, one day a really disheveled lady who looked like she was probably an, an unhoused person came to the door and she said, oh, I used to spend a lot of time here. And they said, oh, really? Like when? And it was in the 40s. And she said, this house is a place of evil. Whoa. So that really sets up that that entire house, especially when George Hodel was there, was the host of some really macabre stuff. Wow. Holy fuck. And it's right on the fault line. It's right on the fault line, basically. Yeah. I mean, that fault line goes from like Immaculate Heart, like it goes kind of up Franklin, I think. Yeah, because we've looked at that. We've talked about like it going like right along Franklin. I think we've yeah. looked at the map before and had that conversation. Like, um, I don't know, like two years ago. I feel like we had this conversation, though. <laughs> that's insane. You know, that's when you start to think about how much of what happened there that he did was him and already there. And then mm -hmm. how much of it is influenced by whatever is there before he got there do you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah like were the rituals like just orgy sexual rituals or were they like weird dark art sort of conjuring rituals because i feel like a lot of the time the two get confused but also commingle on purpose depending on which story you're talking about <laughs> right <laughs> man i gotta learn more about la Right? I don't know enough. <laughs> like I've, I've lived here for 15 years. I feel I should know better. I should know well, more than I do. Oh, but this um, is great. Well, the, the thing about LA is like it's we build over our history so fast. Like there's right. so many different versions of LA that have existed in like this really short amount of time. Because, you know, before, I mean, native Californians, of course, lived here forever, but the Spanish and the Mexicans and then the Americans, all those periods were, in, you know, basically from the late 1700s to today. So there's a lot of history jam packed into a really short amount of time, but we've managed to build up over it so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like there's the first four original graveyards of Los Angeles. I do a tour for that. Uh, we're all by Olvera street downtown and all disappeared within like 70 years. So you Wait, want to, they, they've been built on. They, well, they've been all been built on, like the freeways there, the, the Chinatowns there. They've been completely overturned. And there's all of these sure. foolish stories about, you know, bodies have been found as recently as a few years ago. There were a bunch of bodies found. Uh, that was the original Catholic cemetery by uh, oh, wow. 
yeah, by the uh, church. And it was really La Pasita. And it was really tragic because they were building a new building there and they found all of these bones and all these bones had supposedly been moved to new cemeteries. Right. So like, we're just built, the whole world's a graveyard, as I always say. And so yes. LA in particular is just built on like bones and bones and bones super quickly in the name of progress. To a certain extent, like almost the aspects of the seesaw and you know, these other places, they're just a microcosm of what Los Angeles is as a city. It's just... I mean, it sounds... Yeah, I mean, it's got a theme for sure. I yep. need to move. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about Long Beach? Because I'm looking there and... Um, <laughs> I Queen don't Marisa. know, but I bet there are some great Long Beach stories. Because Long Beach was a crazy wild town and they had a huge earthquake in 1930. Yeah. So I bet there's a lot of crazy stuff. That, and Long Beach was a port town. Port towns are always nuts. That's why I'm into it. I am always like, give me a good port. <laughs> always I love person. the port. Yeah. I love driving around weirdly, especially right now when we're also bored. I like to drive around the port of Los Angeles at night and mm -hmm. look at all the old, like all the docks and all the. So beautiful. I mean, driving Stunning, down like though. through San Pedro and like down by the Queen Mary where all the shipping is and the cranes and like, I don't know where my son gets his love of giant vehicles from, but we're both like, look at the trains, look at the crowd. Oh my God, look at the cargo ship. So we could just like sit there and watch them all go by. But I, I mean that the, the, the older Long Beach area with like the Rainbow Pier and all of that um, feels very Coney Island to me, mm. which was like a place that I really loved in New York. So there's this like, oh, maybe I could go there and sort of feel like that's my like West Coast home <laughs> because yeah. Glendale is not cutting it for me right now. Well, Long Beach is amazing. It's a really cool, vibrant, artsy place. And yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it was an, it was supposed to be an amusement town like Atlantic City or something. So it, you know, it had all of that infrastructure of kind of an East Coast, old timey Coney Island place. Yeah. So when you said you did tours, was that you, because I saw, obviously earlier, I saw that your screen name was Atlas Obscura. Was that with Atlas Obscura? Yeah, I lead a lot of tours uh, for Atlas Obscura and also a group called Cartwheel Art. Okay. So I lead downtown tours. I do some underground tours. I mean, again, <gasps> not right Wait, now. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll have all. to all hang out. We'll have to come yes, on we'll course when out, everything absolutely. is. We totally will have to do that. I would love yeah. to do that. As my kid says, when the big germs are gone, we oh, can do so yeah. many fun oh, things. Sweet kid. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds Holy, like fun. This has been amazing. So great. And I oh, think, my God. You know, you have confirmed to us that the Cecil is a vortex to hell. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> or, or at least an not, antenna to something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't stay there, no matter what they try to make it into. No. Don't believe that, you know, the Swedish home furnishing facade. <laughs> don't touch it. That particle board is haunted and <laughs> by the devil. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, we, we will be having you back to him. I mean, more. you know, if, if you'll come you, back, of course. Absolutely. I mean, this is a lot of fun. You. Yay. So cool. Um, Thank you so much. My pleasure. So his, you know, 
a mortifying thing that we do at the end of it's not it's not it's fine i just have like i've given you a complex about it and i apologize i know (laughs) it's a very sweet thing i just have no emotions and i'm an ice queen so sorry good um so when the pandemic lockdown started and everything just felt like a giant shit sandwich um we started doing a, a gratitude like just one simple thing you know big or small that you're finding gratitude in right now well i'm finding gratitude that unc my basketball team won today <gasps> so that makes me very happy and you know what i really am finding gratitude in all during the pandemic is that it's made me realize how much i love my family and friends and mm-hmm. It's really, I feel like, actually weirdly strengthened my relationships with a lot of people because it's so important to check in and be like, hey, how are you? And share this common historic time we're going through, you know, and, and really process those emotions and this this momentous time in history we're living through together. So actually, yeah. I'm actually very grateful for all the, the love in my life and the love I see other people having for each other right now. I love that. That's mm. so true. I feel that on a very deep level. Yeah. Okay. But now you go, Emily. (laughs) Okay. I'm grateful for this heat pad that I have that covers my shoulders and my neck and my back because I've started doing daily dance breaks for myself. I am a 40 something year old whose body hurts a lot on a regular basis anyway, but it's like, fuck, I'm sitting on my bumble day working. I need to take a sanity break and I turn the music up really loud and I dance like a complete tit and I don't care. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm grateful that as, as challenging as lockdown has been, it's making and helping me to rediscover the simple things that I can find joy in. And if, if it's having a, a, a living room dance party, then fuck yeah. And that's it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, what about you? Um, I am grateful that for Christmas, my mom got my son this thing called Little Passports. And every month, <gasps> yeah. they send a new country to learn about. Uh, so, we've been doing that for schoolwork. And, like, we're doing all homeschooling and stuff right now. But this weekend, we had been talking about Japanese food. So we made ramen for the first time ever. And I made like perfect ramen eggs. And I think eggs are the devil. I really don't eat them. They're yucky to me. But they looked perfect. They did. I saw the picture. The yolks were amazing. And my husband said they tasted great. So fine. Um, So I am thankful for the little passports thing, helping out with school stuff and keeping us amused and that I am good at following directions and could make an egg. (laughs) (laughs) That's my gratitude. I'm really proud of you, Joy. Thank you. Um, I also have a love-hate relationship with eggs. I love Eggs Benedict. Without the meat, like with buckets of hollandaise, but I cannot do runny yolks. Runny yolks freak me out. They make me like physically recoil. So I have to have every single yolk I have has to be like solid. No, Um, I I just want eggs and cakes. That's all. I I only eat the yolks. 
what you'll only eat the yolks yeah like i really <laughs> gross out folks like they did mass for me before when there's deviled eggs because i just eat the yellow part <laughs> you okay. just bring a tiny spoon with you tiny caviar spoon <laughs> like there's no cav- no it's fine i'm eating the devil the devil the it's fine just the deviled part it's fine <laughs> um so again hadley thank you so much we really look forward to talking to you again Thank you. Um, and Super fun. And hey, if you want to check out our Instagram, slide into our DMs, why don't you? At the underscore residuals underscore podcast. Absolutely. Our email address is the residuals podcast at gmail.com. And uh, God, we look forward to hearing yeah, from you. Let us Thank know. Thank you so much. Anything weird. Totally. It doesn't have to be like ghost stories. Just, you know, all your weird paranormal stuff. Send them to us. And uh, just shoot us a little note in there if you want to stay anonymous and what you'd like to be called by instead. If there are any specifics where you need to keep your identity a mystery. And until next time, wash your hands, wear a mask, socially distance, um, sage your sofa. Uh, don't stay at the Cecil. Don't stay at the Cecil. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Stay away from stay on Main. And uh, most importantly, don't be afraid of the dark. But I will. Hadley, she's afraid of the dark. Terrified. This light might stay on all night behind me. I sleep on I sleep with a nightlight still. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we can I, share a room when we stay somewhere that's not the Cecil. Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you there, girl. Whatever. Yes. I'll be in the next room listening to my Rain Rain app yeah, or Harry Styles talking to me fine. on the car map. Oh my okay. god. Well, until next time. Bye. 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 Those lights are really just like swamp gas. So again, it's it's explaining. Thank you for ruining it for me. Please continue to ruin it. I loved it. <laughs>